welcome to They Behave For Me, a podcast brought to you by me, Adam Boxer. And me, Amy Forrester. We're going to be covering all things education, policy, curriculum, teaching and learning and much more. And we're going to be coming to you every Friday afternoon to take you into the weekend. They Behave For Me is powered by Carousel Learning, an innovative online learning platform that aims to boost your students' memory and help you strategically plan for retrieval practice over time. It does homework, it does classwork, it does detailed analytics and feedback and is guaranteed to reduce your workload. To be like the thousands of teachers already using Carousel and find out more, go to www.carousel-learning.com. That's how oh, I did the www. I've started laughing. <laughs> Someone's going to tell me off. They are. Stop being old school, dude. Oh, sorry. It's just carousel-learning.com. That's carousel-learning.com. Well done. If you're enjoying the podcast, please remember to hit subscribe so you can hear us make a mess of reading websites out every week. <laughs> The best way to support us is by sharing the love. And if you have a friend or colleague who you think would enjoy They Behave For Me, please do feel free to let them know about us. You make fun of me, but I'm just so tired. <laughs> Same. It's been a long week. Oh, it's like, this is a short half term, right? It's only been, you know, four Apparently or five. I had, I had I had a particularly busy week because um, on Monday I was at a school in Crewe. Um, well, that's very it, north for you. Yeah. It, well. Yeah. Yeah. It's. Uh, yeah. It's. Yeah. I mean, I, we, you know, I do Manchester, I do Liverpool, and stuff like that. It's just a, it's just a long day, and they wanted me till quite late, so I didn't get home till like um, quarter to nine, and I'd left the house at six in the morning. This is all off the back of the fact that my son has had decided that four o'clock in the morning was wake up time. Yeah, of course it is. Why not? Which is definitely not wake up time. He's like, he's like, I'm awake. I can't wait for the sun to come up. He's got one of these little clocks where the sun comes up. He's like, I can't wait. I can't wait. And then he goes, this is this. He's, he's three, right? He goes, I'm bored. <laughs> You've got a teenage three-year-old. He's like, I'm bored. I'm like, I don't care that you're bored. Go to Go sleep. <sighs> Yeah, and then this is my, like, because we have a fortnightly timetable and this is my crazy busy week in school. And it's like teaching every lesson and then meetings and then running training on Tuesday night, got a webinar Wednesday night, do extra session for year 11 on the Thursday night. It's like, oh. Yeah, my week's like that this week that I have. Tomorrow's just as, (laughs) just as chaotic. It's the day where I do, like, teach teach duty teach teach duty teach like you get to the end of the day and i'm like who am i what have i done yeah but you're slt you get paid the big bucks i'm leadership team not slt but all right wait what's the difference uh i think there's like does your school not do kind of do it like that where you've got like a senior team which are like your assistant heads your deputy heads and your heads um and then in our school we have like a a layer between that and your middle la- your middle leaders. So we've got like a director of English, maths and science, one each. Uh, me, idiot here over on behaviour. And um, somebody else that does like curriculum engagement and that sort of thing. So we're sort of leadership team. Um, but our role is slightly more specific than like an SLT type role. Huh. No, we don't have that. Do you not? No, it's it's interesting. I, I wonder if someone's done a history of this stuff because when you know there was a, there was such a shift that it used to be you had 
your teachers, your heads of department. Yeah. And that would be a head of department, like head of geography, head of history, whatever. Um, and then, and you had heads of year yeah. and then senior leadership. And then I think the next thing to come was people amalgamated these departments into faculties. And all of a yeah, sudden you had Yeah, we never a, did that. Yeah, I, I went to a couple of schools where they did that, where you had a head of humanities and things like that. Um, and, then, and then the associate senior leadership position came in. Yeah. Which is, so you'd be like an associate assistant head or something like that. Um, no, we don't have that. We have the principal, vice principals, assistant principals, and that's it. And then there's oh. just the middle leadership team, heads of department and the heads of year. See, I guess I'm probably a bit biased because I really like my job and it just means I get to do the things that I want to do, which is just do behaviour. <laughs> and that's, I'm happy. I, I'm quite content in that. I like a nice little precise role of something I enjoy. Well, it's all, it's all one of those where, you know, there's, there's, no, there's no reason to do it one particular way or another particular way. It's kind of who are the resources that you've got and what do you do based on that? Yeah, when... and like what, what have you got as areas of like expertise in your school like exactly what does your school need as well i think that's yeah. we're, we're quite good at that so it makes perfect sense for your school to have you as director of behavior yeah right but what if you late what if you leave <laughs> right and you you can't because you can't leave cockermouth because that's not a thing. it's never gonna People. happen they don't need to worry about that i'm going nowhere <laughs> yeah but in other schools, what happens is you end up appointing this person to this position because you think it makes sense and then they leave and all of a sudden, your entire like leadership structure no longer quite makes sense, uh, and and it's it's especially bad in science departments. Is because, it? Yes, uh, because what happens in science departments is you end up with a head of department, and then someone's planning on leaving, so you say, okay, well, I'll make you second in department, and then you have a head of biology, and then a head of physics, and then a head of chemistry, and then somebody else is leaving, so you say, okay, well, I'll make you head of key stage three science, and then the second in department leaves. And everyone's like, oh, well, this is great. We don't need to like reappoint someone. We only did it because we wanted them to stay. But then all of a sudden, all the stuff that they were doing isn't getting done. It's like complete chaos. Uh, and you end up like I go to some of these departments and they've they've got like holes where they've got like a head of biology and a head of chemistry, but they don't have a head of physics. And we're like, why don't you have a head of physics? They're like, oh, the head of department just does the head of physics stuff. And I'm like, okay, well, why do you have a head of biology and a head of chemistry too? And it's just like, <laughs> none of it makes sense, but it's all historic. It's just at some point it made sense to somebody and now it no longer makes sense. Yeah, do you know what? Now you say that about science, I'm like, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. it's very frustrating because, um, you know, th this this whole market of giving people like, you know, I I I I had a you know not not my current where I'm where, I, where when I joined my current school I was joined the head of department, but the school that I joined that I was at before I was like head of key stage three science or something, and like I think that was an important job and I think I did a good job, but. I know of so many cases where people have literally just been offered like a £2,000 TLR to stay because they were planning on leaving and the head is like, no, I'd quite like you to stay, have a £2,000 TLR or whatever. And I don't know how I feel about that. I like, don't like one, that. I... Well, one, like it makes, it sort of makes sense. If you want to keep the person, you pay them more. But I don't know, it just feels a bit weird to me. Uh, yeah, I'm not like, if someone wants to leave, let them leave. Yeah. I'm 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 on that side of the page. I could I would honestly rather die of embarrassment um than like go to somebody and be like I'm going to leave. I would like a TLR. Well, you I know what? You know what, Amy? What? That's an amazing segue. 
Is it? Yes, because we wanted to talk about recruitment tonight. Oh, we did, didn't we? It's been a long week. We're going to talk about <laughs> recruitment. I, I merged us right in there and didn't even realise. You've done a spectacular job. We have three items on the agenda tonight. We have we vocal tips. We have interview tips. And I have a behaviour question for you. So my suggestion is that we do the interview tips now. Well, that, the timing is perfect. Was this, this was, you added this, was this a question that somebody asked? Yeah, so um, I got a DM over on uh, the Twitter and X, somebody... X. X. I'm, I'm still calling it Twitter. I'm sorry, I'm not moving on. <laughs> um, they asked, they pointed out rightly that it is a recruitment yawn? season. <laughs> Did you just yeah. yawn? Yeah, I'm why? Like, I'm tired. Like you, up. you are, yeah. <laughs> it's been a long week. Um, they pointed out it's recruitment season. And so right. they were talking about some tips for like pastoral interviews and um, for departmental ones as well. And uh, I was like, oh, that sounds like a really interesting idea because I can, like, I've obviously got the pastoral bits, you've got the department bits. So I was like, we can do that. All right, Ems, let's do it then. Okay, so I'm going for a head of year role. Uh-huh. Yeah. What advice do you have for me? Um, so I, I think the first thing is that you you kind of need to assess where you are in terms of what you already have experience of um, in school. And that can be really difficult when it comes to pastoral um experience because i think it, it's relatively easy in a department to get departmental experience um that you can talk about in a in an interview situation i think in pastoral it's loads harder um and it was when can, i was can applying you explain what, can you explain what you mean by that yeah so like in a department you can you know take a lead on writing part of the curriculum or you could mentor an ect or you could do some coaching or you can shadow your head of department you can go to meetings like there's lots of things that you can do in the in kind of your day-to-day -day departmental experience that give you things to talk about at interview beyond just what you do in the classroom um and i think when it comes to pastoral the role of a form tutor is obviously so much more limited than your role as a classroom teacher like for most people it's 10 15 minutes a day um, and therefore, it's not your bread and butter. It's not what you're doing all of the time. <laughs> and actually, normally your selling point is, I actually do the things that a form tutor is supposed to do. Well, yeah, because it, it, that was wait, pointed out a, to in me. A, yeah, in, a, in like a teaching and learning role, you can say, well, I've gone above and beyond by doing X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Whereas when it's the form tutor thing, it's more like, I've gone above and beyond by doing the bare minimum. <laughs> I'm a really, yeah, I, I do my job as a form tutor. But... Being honest, right? That's normal, yeah? That is quite normal, yeah. But there's something in it because being ahead of year, stay with me on this one, being ahead of year is just like being a form tutor, but for a load more kids. Yeah. So it's the same thing, in, yeah. just on mass to a much bigger scale. Um, and therefore, you can still get experience of the things that ahead of year has to do um, if you really think about where those might be. So, for example, um, as a form tutor, 
are you taking the lead on conversations home for the students in your form? Particularly, are you taking on more difficult or complex communications? Are you having difficult conversations? Are you supporting a child? Are you supporting the family? Um, is there a child in your form that's like on an early help, for example, that you can you can play a role in? Um, and so I think seeing that perspective when you're thinking about how ready you are as a head of year and what skills you've already got and what what experience you can bring to the table, that's where you've got to look. Um, and I think if you are somebody who has your eyes set on a pastoral role, that's where you've got to be gaining your experience because you you can't. It's really difficult to apply for a job and go to interview if you haven't if you're not able to talk about things that you've already done and how how you did them well but then also how you build on them and what you'd do better or differently in future um and that's the way to do it with pastoral and i think it i remember sort of looking at pastoral roles at the start of my career i won't explain how i ended up with my first pastoral job because that was a story and a half yeah well we're here for it <laughs> it was just utterly bizarre so like I was what, NQT plus one, plus two, something like that. Too young, number one, um, and too inexperienced, number two. Um, and they advertised for an assistant head of year, um, and then nobody applied for it. And somebody said to me, oh, Amy, you should send them an email and say, like, oh, I wish I'd applied for that. Could I still apply? And I was like, oh, I could do that. So I did that. And then like 10 minutes later, it was like, oh, we'll come and cover your lesson. You can come to interview. Um, and then like an hour or two later, um, I'd got myself so I'd like that it had all happened so bizarrely quickly that I was lost on the stairs in my own school trying to find my cousin who works at school going, Emma, <laughs> something really weird's just happened. I don't know where I am. What's going on? <laughs> so that's how I got my first job as an assistant pastoral leader. By accident. By completely by accident, without any planning, um, because there was no one else. <laughs> All right. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. It, seems to, it seems to have worked out. I mean, it did. And do you know what? You wrote a book. Yeah. Called um, Pastoral I... Leadership, a complete compendium of guiding and, and information to any aspiring middle, middle or senior leader who is interested in a pastoral role. That's yeah, the, I thought you were going to take the mickey out of my book title then for being that, too long. I got the title right, didn't I? You did something like that anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't tell you. But in all seriousness, like it did, it did turn out really well. I did learn loads. I got to work with really experienced people and they taught me everything that I know now. Um, so in some ways, like I'm really glad that it happened. But in hindsight, um, I probably needed a few more years like experience really. And had that been like a proper um like interview process I, I wouldn't have been ready to talk about what I'd done particularly well or my experience or anything like that so mm. um don't bank on the <laughs> randomly getting a job um yeah. experience that I had and and it, you know if that's where you want to go it's pl it's plotting out some of that I'm pretty sure I've written a blog about this a couple of years ago because I kept getting asked like by people who knew they wanted to go down the pastoral angle, maybe weren't ready to apply yet, but they were saying, what can I do over the next year, 18 months to get myself ready? Um, so when we put the podcast out, I'll stick a link up 
on Twitter if anyone's particularly interested because I've I've sort of broken it down by like skill set and how you might assess where you're up to and, and that sort of thing. That's pretty cool. I think I mean I think I think yeah I, I think there is stuff you can do in a pastoral role to stick out. Um, and I think probably the best place to start is if you are I mean, assuming that the person is a form tutor probably the best place to start is just go to the head of year and ask if they you can help with anything yeah because <laughs> like, they're gonna go yes please yes please like <laughs> there'll be a whole bunch of kit like like there's loads of work that they've got on that they won't be able to handle yeah and there'll be you know all of those kids who are like on rapport or whatever there'll be a whole bunch of them who you could take um yeah something that i used to do as well is is like stats analysis and things like that um you know yeah. it's, it's entirely unsurprising but you, you know whatever, whatever you. yeah it's very mean but whatever Get management information system pastel. whatever management information system you run um a good place because also you don't want to like come across too strong so one thing you could do is is you can always run a report for like your class to see who's getting which incidents and where and you go to the head of year and you, you, know, you don't even need to go to the head of year. You just say, I'd like to put these people on to form tutor report or whatever. And they'll be like, sure. Like, yeah, fine. We'll bite yeah, they will bite yeah. your hand off because yeah, heads of year never have time to get everything done that they would like to do. So anyone being proactive is like some sort of God in our eyes. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, stuff like that can make a big difference and identifying the teachers who are having particular problems and offering to help you know yeah nothing might come of it but saying you know do you want me to call home or you know do you want me to have a conversation with them that kind of stuff yeah um and, you know what and i learned then, a lot from oh, um yeah. was working with maybe one or two kids but slightly more intensively mm. um so trying to do specific interventions with them so sitting down with them working out what issues they might have in terms of like their behavior or their academic progress or you know friendships socializing whatever the issue was and actually committing to right i'm going to get to the point where this is better for this child over a period of time um and like more like sus more sustained work i think is i learned a lot from that about how you actually try and improve things for a child because it's rarely is it really that straightforward um so you know if you're having a look at your form and you've got some kids in there who are picking up like low level behavior yep. issues an like, extra, right, an I'm extra 20 you minutes on. you know an extra 20 minutes a week can have a huge impact oh massively or, or just say to that head of year right i'm gonna can i take accountability for that child so anything yep. that comes in anything that happens can i deal with that let it be mine they're always going to be like yes and actually taking that personal responsibility um, I think it's really important, and it, as a head of year, when if a form tutor comes to you and says that, like you're delighted. <laughs> yeah, sure. There's um, also like there's there's also all like the PSHE stuff, right? There's yeah, absolutely. Things, yeah. So like developing part of pastoral curriculum, for example, or yeah. thinking about what you know there might be specific topics. We've had form tutors in the past that have just felt really strongly about certain things and felt our kids needed more like educating on whatever that was and and they've developed some resources for us to use and stuff like that is so important and that's sort of where maybe as a classroom teacher you know a lot about you know planning lessons developing a curriculum sustaining like knowledge and learning over time that transfers really easily easily to pastoral agreed agreed shall it be my turn 
Go on. See, this is something I know very little about. Um, yeah, so I don't, I don't do it so much anymore, but I did used to spend quite a lot of time wading through applications and doing interviews and the interview lessons and blah, blah, blah. I've also done many myself, <laughs> not, not always successfully. Um, so my first massive tip is personalize your um, written statement. So whenever you apply for a job, there'll be a thing about, tell us about yourself and why you want to work here or whatever. You absolutely 100% have to do your research. Basically, when I got these applications, if I read a generic, unless I was really desperate, but if I read yeah. a generic personal statement, it was going to the bottom of the pile, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. and see, this is where you, your teaching interview process and your pastoral is slightly different because pastoral tends to be an internal process. Often, in, yeah. in most, but whereas yeah. you know a, a departmental promotion, yeah. you may well be looking outside of your own school. Yeah, but but people will still be applying for you know assistant principal for behaviour or whatever, um, and they might be going to you know a different school. And if you are going to a different school, if it's not personalised, just uh, just just check out right there. Um, yeah, I mean that seems really bizarre to me. That was like rule one hundred and one when we were no, training. Was like you write a letter to that school yeah it's it's really really common um is it? And yeah it's really common um and and yeah yeah you have to go onto the school's website you have to do some reading um you have to get the context like see what the school is up to see what the school is um trying to promote in terms of what makes them distinctive you know the truth is most schools are very similar to each other right but they yeah. all say they're different <laughs> Yeah, right. but they're they not really, these, you know, mission statements and values and stuff. But with a few exceptions, um, you know, most of them sit within the middle of a bell curve and are pretty similar. Um, but they all say they're different, and it's important to tap into that. Um, I think also disposition. There are two like dispositional attitudes. I think people should have. Um, the first is to absolutely one hundred percent take your time. Um, and I think you mentioned that already about not trying to get promoted too early. Yeah. Um, it's just a great way to burn yourself out completely. Um, and also like just, yeah, it's not a good idea. But also. No, I mean, I honestly, that's something that about the profession in general that really worries me about early promotion and just not being ready. Like I'm a firm believer on if you're going to lead on anything, you better be bloody good at it yourself first. And you can't be bloody good at something. I know because I've been in that position. You can't be bloody good at something with like hardly any experience whatsoever. Like if you're going to have credibility, that's really important to your success as a leader in school. If, you're, if you've been teaching for five minutes, with all due respect, you're going to find that an uphill battle. Plus, yeah, I, yeah, like on. you say, burnout, like... It, you can't go from being an ECT to having a leadership role like that <laughs> blows my mind. Yeah, I I actually had the reverse of this, that I was at my first school for two years and then I applied for teacher of science at my second school. And at interview, the head teacher asked me, why are you applying for a teacher of science role instead of a leadership role? Because you're a teaching fetus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, what, oh, it's so irresponsible. Well, I'm not sure he was doing it. I, I, I don't know if he was doing it as a way of, like, expressing surprise or kind yeah. of probing the way that I was thinking about it. 
But the fact that that question was even asked speaks to the kind of cultural milieu uh, and 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 the norms, I guess. Now, mm. well, obviously, it's like quite a privileged thing to be able to say. Like some people need the promotion because they need the money. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you're in a position where you're extremely frustrated uh, and you know that nobody else is going to step up or you know that the, the other person who's going to step up, you think will do a worse job than you. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I coached someone actually who, who was applying for a head of department role. And he said to me, he didn't think he was ready. And I said to him that from what I'd seen, I thought he was ready. Yeah. But I said to him, I, I asked him if he respected the head teacher. It was an internal position where this guy was going. And I said, do you respect your head teacher? And he was like, yeah. I was like, do you, do you like respect his, his like knowledge and his insight and his ability to make strategic decisions? And he was like, yes. I said, well, apply, go to interview. And if the guy says to you, I think you can do this job, then just trust him. <laughs> right. Yeah. And there is that. Yeah. And if he says, I don't think you're ready, then fine. You're not yeah. like that's, you know, and, and that's my second dispositional attitude with all of these things is to be so, so, so like phlegmatic about it. It is what it is and it all works out. And, you know, sometimes I see people like they tweet, they're like, oh, I just got my dream job at my dream school. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, how do you have any idea? Like, you don't. What, you've, you've got you've no visited... idea what somewhere's like to work un until you've done a stint there. Yeah. Right. And, and even if you do a stint there and six months later, the head teacher leaves or the entire leadership team leaves or the person who you really wanted to work with leaves or whatever. It's like when kids say that they want to do an A-level because they really like, you know, the particular teacher. I'm like, yeah, that teacher could get hit by a bus. And then what? Yeah. Right. Like it's just a, it's not it's not a smart move. No, so you, you have to isn't. be so chilled about this stuff and be like, you know. I, there, before I got the, my job at TTA, like there were a bunch of jobs that I applied for and I got rejected from all of them. And, um, and like, you know, obviously like there is that nagging sense of annoyance and wounded pride, but like I ended up in exactly the right place. Yeah. 100%. You know, and, and the same time when I was training, when I was training, um, I applied for teach first, I applied to the Institute of education. I got rejected from both and I was super upset about it. And I was like, this is a disaster. Like maybe I don't even want to do this teaching business and I applied for the last place and, and everything just works out. Yeah. yeah I, um, I do honestly <laughs> believe that. I don't know if it's, it's a slightly, I always find it slightly conflicting with certain aspects of my personality, but I genuinely believe like apply for something, do, don't, like if you get it, great. If you don't, you weren't meant to do it anyway. Yeah. And, and, and I, again, I wonder if this is like privilege because we happen to be happy <laughs> in our schools, but <laughs> yeah, I, that's true. I wasn't, I wasn't always happy, you know, and, <laughs> and I applied for other stuff. And my only assumption is that it just kind of worked out and I am where I am now and it's, it's worked out. Yeah. Trust the process. Trust in the process. Yeah. And it, I always say if, if things aren't okay right now, it means that it's not the end of what's going to happen because eventually it'll all be okay. As yeah. I rock silently in a corner of a dark room. <laughs> <laughs> it will be okay. Yeah. That yeah. was a joke. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to think if I've got any other like major tips. Get the application. Oh, the, the lesson thing. Um, in, if you're doing a demonstration lesson or whatever, um, I... The, the, this, is, this is, again, difficult because different schools are looking for different things. Yeah. Um, my 
and this relates to disposition number two, my really, really strong feeling on this is that you should not worry about it at all and treat it exactly like your own lesson that you'd teach in your school. Yeah. And then if someone doesn't, and a lesson that you'd just be proud of. Yeah. Right? Just the kind of lesson that you would want your students to have tomorrow. Um, and if somebody says, well, you know, I didn't like that because you didn't do X, Y, or Z, then scrum. Yeah, because like, you, you're not going to work for that person. Fit. Yeah, like it's not if you if you get a job based on delivering a lesson that isn't what you would normally do, or you feel com like comfortable or confident doing it day in day out, you're going to hate your job. Totally, totally. Um, you know, if you and if you send them an email and say, "Oh, you know, um, please can you make sure there are many whiteboards in the room?" and they're like, "Oh, we don't have any," <laughs> so that would be it. you gone. Forget it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> not work working there. there. <laughs> you know, stuff like that, um, and and also definitely be prepared for tech to go wrong. Yeah, I yeah, I always bring, went bring low tech. Marker. Yeah. Um, yeah, I go. have. So you know, I, I do all these sessions all around the country. Yeah. So I've gotten so fed up of these schools that I go to having terrible tech that I now carry, because um, I, I need to, people are always like, oh, can you send us your slides or whatever? But I don't use slides. I use OneNote and I draw and I write during the session. So I yeah. need to be able to write on my laptop. So I have to take my laptop. I have to use my laptop. My laptop has to plug into the projector. And um, I got so fed up of having to deal with this nonsense that I, <laughs> I basically I have this little rucksack that I take with me, and obviously it's got like my food and my laptop and all of my snacks, um, but all of my snacks and several cans of <laughs> <laughs> and several cans of Monster Energy Ultra, um, and but it's also got all of my tech. So I have I have a VGA connection. I have an HDMI female to female connection. I have an HDMI to USB C connection. I have a seven and a half meter HDMI cable. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Hang on. You laugh. You laugh, right? Okay. You laugh. The school that I was at on Monday, they've got a brand new projector. Well, it's not brand new, but it's a really nice new projector. And it's wired into the console, which is where all the computer and stuff is. But the connections there are literally 20 years old right yeah so I, I managed to jimmy this and jimmy that and jimmy the other and so i got the <laughs> i got my connection to go into the wall and the projector didn't work so i was like i literally i'm not even joking i said right screw this and i was talking to the deputy head or whatever i said please can you call the site team and ask them to bring a ladder okay so so they bring, oh, they, bring, they, they bring a ladder and i'm like that ladder's not bringing enough <laughs> <laughs> I need a bigger ladder. So they're like, oh, well, you know, Mark's on the gate or whatever. I'm going to have to go find him. I'm like, please, could you find him? Right. <laughs> I just need a ladder. Yeah. So they go get Mark and he's got the, the big ladder, the one that's, you know, a, a stor yeah, a big, big ladder. And I climb up to the projector, which is hanging down from the ceiling and plug in at the back of the projector. <laughs> and in the middle of like this hall where all these teachers are sat there doing CPD, I've got my cable <laughs> dangling down <laughs> like it's some kind of dystopian factory. <laughs> but I'm like, you guys laughed at me for having my seven and a half meter HDMI cable. It was useful. <laughs> yeah. Now I, now I know why I've got it. Exactly. So oh, yes, you've got like a little geek bag. That's so cute. Yes, all I need now is a roadie. Yeah, to do all that for you because you're too big and important to get on a ladder yourself. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not. I'm not taking a ladder with. <laughs> really pushing it. I'm on a Vanty West Coast <laughs> with a 15 foot long ladder. <laughs> At least you don't have to fit. 
And you know, I don't like people talking to me on the train. That is a guaranteed way to get weird northerners asking me, Ew, what's going Ew, on with that? that? <laughs> what's going with that lad? <sighs> okay, all right. Um, right, any more interview tips? Uh, no. Okay. Well, I would say um, do those things, the application, dispositions, be yourself in the uh, the lesson, be yourself at interview, really important as well, don't lie. Yeah. Sometimes, I, 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 um, sometimes when people tell me they're really nervous about interview, um, I, I ask them to ask the person who's interviewing them if they don't mind if they bring notes in. Yeah, I've people, done that before. Oh, am, I gonna remember, notes in. am I going to remember all this stuff? I'm like, well, just ask if you can take notes. And again, if the head teacher says, oh, no, no notes, then they're a turd, don't apply. But normally, head teacher would be like, sure, like, why not? Yeah. Right? But see, I, I'm, all, I'm of the school of thought where, like, I don't tend to ask for things. And I just am prepared to apologize later. Ah, uh, yes. That's the, um, uh, there's a phrase for that, isn't it? Uh, better to ask forgiveness than permission. Yes, that's me. That's what I do. So, like, if I want to take my iPad and five sets of notes yep. and um, a range of Ofsted reports into an interview, then I will. And if someone goes, oh, sorry, you can't use them, I'll go, that's fine. I'm really sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good one. And also, at the end of the interview, if they say, do you have any questions for us, make sure you have a question. Oh, see, I was going to say the exact opposite. What? I don't think you should force a question. Like, yeah, if you've got a genuine question, go for it. If right, you haven't, how, how don't. Could, but how could you be going for a job and not have any genuine questions? I've never had a genuine question. What? I've always had questions. Oh, my God. You're the question wanker. It's so unfair. I've just broken my swear rule on the... Like, you you wouldn't ask about like how what like lo like if you're going for a head of department job, why would yeah. you not ask about like what line management structure looks like? Is that not just covered? I mean, I've never had a head of department interview. I wouldn't have a clue. But like, is that not covered? Like what? what? What I have an issue with is people going into interview and just asking question. Yeah, don't make because it they said if you got any questions. Like it's not. I don't. I'm not a fan of like mind games and oh I better ask a question so it looks like I'm interested so I'm going to ask this question that I don't really care about the answer to but I'm I'm asking it just in case I um, do not understand how anyone could go for a job that could change their life and not have any questions about it I've never had any questions <laughs> genuinely well, well it seems we've all worked out <laughs> I always just go no thank you fine um, you know when when I got um, when I got my first job. So at, on the PGCU course, they had this guy, this grizzled ex-head teacher who'd been a head for like twenty-five years or whatever, gave us a talk about how to get our first job, and um, and he did you know his usual shtick or whatever. And then at the end, he goes, and at the end, um, they will say, "Do you have any questions?" And you should say to them, "Yes." Um, how much will you be paying me? And they will say, "We will be starting you on M one." And you will say to them, I would like M4, please. 
and then negotiate from there. What? And, um, yeah. And I, well, it's buyer's market and um, seller's market, seller's market. Yeah. We, uh, sellers, buyers. Yes. Cause they're giving you money. Yes. Seller's market. And, um, and I was like, oh yeah, that sounds great. And I applied and I got my first interview or whatever. And I'm 23 years old and I'm, you know, I'm married and don't have a job and stuff like that. And um, at the end of the interview, they go, do you have any questions for us? And I said, um, uh, what, what, what will the salary expected salary be? And the head teacher looks at me and goes, M1. And I said, yeah, because no, <laughs> you've got a shred of decency as a human being, not to make a total ass of yourself. Yeah, as a 23-year-old, I think people should haggle their salaries, but maybe not for your first job. No, not, no, not as an NQT. No, 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 no. My NQT experience, again, was I've just seemed to have these really bizarre job experiences where I went for a job, um, didn't get the job. They told me there and then I didn't get the job. And then about five minutes later, the head comes running back up the stairs and goes, somebody's pregnant. Would you like a job? <laughs> Congratulations. And I was like, yeah, sure. of course I will. Yeah, that was it. it. It's not where I work now. But um, yeah, that was the story of my NQT job. And I went, yeah, I'll take it. Yeah, I'll be having it. I didn't um, ask for M4 though. I just went, thank you so much for giving me a job. Yay, salary. But you know, if you don't ask, you don't get, and maybe if you do ask, you would get. I know, but it's such a, such a. I'm trying it's not, not very, to swear. Not very British. It's not very British, is it? No, I, I, I would, I would really judge somebody negatively for doing that. Yeah, but you shouldn't. That's that's not. I don't think you should. <laughs> but I will. I <laughs> not that I interview anyone for anything. <laughs> but that is, how judgment, that is how judgment works. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I know rationally what you're saying, and yet here we are. All right, shall we, um, shall we move on? Let's go for it. Because last week um, I mentioned that you had um, some excellent vocal tips because you lost your voice. I did. And I think we need to know what happened there. Yeah, so there's a, there's a big old backstory that I won't go into because nobody needs to hear all that. Um, but the upshot of this backstory was that I lost my voice for three years. <laughs> And what, what does that you, mean? You, you actually couldn't speak? No, I could speak, but I was no longer speaking with my vocal cords. They weren't working. And was this, I, was this physiological or was it like mental or psychosomatic or what? It, it, when we got to the root of the problem, there yeah. was some psychological stuff going on. Yeah. Wow. And you combine that with... The fact that my body had just got used to not using its vocal cords and I was using the muscles in my throat to speak instead. Right. Um, so I, sound per I sounded permanently like a sex line worker. Can you do an impression? No, because I can't ever do that again because it's literally I can feel sometimes my muscles kick in um, if I'm stressed or have to shout. And I still have to control that in my throat. That is, that is, that is genuinely fascinating. Yeah, so it's because I'd spent three years um, speaking with the wrong part of my throat, yeah, um, I had to retrain my vocal cords to work properly. And it all started up, the, the origin of all of this was a throat infection. God, humans are so weird. Aren't they? Wow. So, yeah. Okay. So, so, so what, what, how is this, you know, because I know that this has led to some thoughts about teaching and teachers using their voices and stuff. Yeah, because we don't, 
we ne- we're never taught how to use it. Um, and it the the words of wisdom I was given at one point, I think I probably gave them to somebody actually after the the voice thing, um, was like no voice, no job, right? <laughs> and mm. having been in that position where something as simple as a a throat infection can have yes. a three year long impact on you. As a teacher, what do you do? Yeah. Like, because the strain and the, like, I probably could have taught a lesson, but using my voice that much every single day probably would have ended up doing so much more damage because I was using the wrong thing to talk with. Totally. Um, and that, uh, our, our voice is our, that's how we do our job. Um, and we're never taught how to protect it. And like, you know, I, I know I'm sometimes a bit skeptical of like well-being initiatives and that sort of thing. But I never once see anything to do with well-being to do with like your actual voice. No, but I don't think that's well-being. That's CPD. Do you think? Yeah. Because I, well, yeah, kind of. But what I often see with teachers, um, and this is something that I had to learn through speech therapy um, and various other physio work that I had to do. Um, there is so many things that seem like really routine, normal stuff that humans do, um, that are actually really damaging to your voice. So the, one of the first things that they talked to me about, I remember a really specific session with my speech therapist, um, was on things like cold and flu lozenges and throat sprays. They're awful, aren't they? Yeah, because they dry out your vocal cords. Um, the ones that numb your throat are even more dangerous yeah um because your throat your throat is hurting that means you should rest it and then when you you numb your throat you you trick yourself into thinking everything's fine and you just make it worse yeah um and even now like i i still i have what i think i will always have is a vocal weakness like i still can't really shout or raise my voice because the tension gets too much in my throat um, so I don't do that because I can still feel it kicking in trying to speak wrong and I'm talking it would 10, 20 years down the line um, but when I'm ill my voice always goes yeah. and what, I ha- what I, I'm able to do is know how to deal with that and what I can what naturally my voice can tolerate and what it can't and how to look after it um, and there are still things I do that, like, my speech therapist told me I should not do. Um, <laughs> things like drinking caffeine, and I live off Pepsi Max. Yeah. Um, because and, it, and getting very I'm, excited when, when Manchester United win. Yes, that too. And also, like, screaming my lungs out at, like, music concerts and stuff. But I, I can do them in a way that doesn't cause me any damage right. because I know what I'm doing. Like, I know yeah. how to look after it. Yeah. Um, but it really worries me that that people don't. And then, like... You know, like cold and flu season in schools, you walk by and you can hear it like a teacher whispering. And I'm like, that's go actually one of, one of the worst things you can do. Yeah, just go home. Yeah, because you're not talking with your vocal cords. And that's yeah. a bad thing, I learned. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so like anytime people are whispering or going, oh, I've got a bit of a cold. I'm like, yeah. yeah. Okay, no voice, no job don't whisper like either talk and use your voice or go home and rest it yeah there is no like the things that people assume are like good for you just that they, they aren't um it's go like home. Caffeine. go home and if you feel bad about the fact that you're not in work like write some booklets or something but go home yeah yeah just rest your 
rest your voice. Um, but there's all sorts of little things, like the caffeine thing is obviously one. Um, I learned a lot about dairy. That always affects me because um, it, it increases mucus or something in your throat. Um, mm. And that causes you to have to clear your throat more. Um, and that's a bad thing. So, you know, when you kind of have a, you need to clear your throat and you sort of go, <clears throat> that's really bad for you. You should swallow rather than do that because you, you're using the wrong things in there. Um, I learned that. What else did I learn about? I learned about like things like spicy food. If you've got a bad throat, don't, <laughs> yep. don't have a gel phrasey for tea, that right. sort of thing. Um, so they're all like the little things. Um, yeah. But obviously having to relearn how to use your vocal cords is... Um, it's pretty intense. Yeah. I had to do all sorts. So I've learned how to breathe properly. I had no idea for the first 18 years of my life that I wasn't breathing properly. Uh, but I wasn't. I think most of us don't breathe properly, yeah. <laughs> no, you're meant to breathe with your stomach, not with your chest. Yes. So this is this is what I was going to what I was going to point to. So the, the reason why I think this is actually CPD is because it also makes you a better teacher. Yes. So... Um, in vocal coaching, one of the big distinctions is between head voice and diaphragm voice. Um, and it's kind of difficult to describe. There are lots of YouTube videos, but basically head voice comes from, it's, it's easiest to talk about when you're singing, right? So head voice comes from your nose and from your throat, whereas um, diaphragm voice is when the air and the energy that you're expending to get that sound out is coming from deep within, from your yeah. diaphragm. And um, it's really important because it protects your throat, but it's also more powerful. Um, so, and like, this is kind of what said Lamov has this move called strong voice. And it's not quite what he's talking about, but the, the way that I interpret it is about how you talk to students in a way that's firm, but isn't shouting. Yes. And like the way that I just spoke then is pure diaphragm voice. Yeah. Whereas the way that I'm speaking now is more like head voice. Yeah. Um, and one is like one projects a much greater sense of like authority and solidity um and also helps you be heard more yeah. uh, it does require a bit more concentration um, and effort and getting used to it and i think the reason why it's important is because part of teaching and behavior management you know so many things are small and little and things we don't notice your body positioning where you stand in the room how you face the how you face the students where your eye contact is all of that stuff uh, and one of them is your physical presence in the room um and i've worked with a lot of teachers who have this is what, what i call the six-way threat so the six-way threat do you want to hear my six-way threat go on so the six-way threat is basically where you have a prior that makes it harder for you to manage behavior so right. some some of these are more controversial than others one that's not controversial is something like an accent, having a thick yeah. accent. Um, I'm, I'm not saying this is the way it should be, right? I'm yeah, saying just, but this is the way, way it is. is right? yeah. Having an accent makes it harder to control a class. Yeah. Um, so that's one. Being young makes it harder to control a class. Um, being inexperienced makes it harder to control a class. And again, I'm not saying universally, right? There yeah. are plenty of people who are young and inexperienced with an accent who are fine at controlling class automatically um but it's a threat it's a prior that makes your life harder so uh that was there was three four is um being new to a school so if the students yep. don't know you five is being small yep. and six is being female yep so that's the six-way threat and if you are a small young inexperienced female who's new to a school and has an accent um your life is going to be harder yeah you're done for you know, like I, I used to teach with someone who was a rugby prop, 
Okay. Right. Yep. He did absolutely nothing in yep. terms of like skill or strategy or techniques in order to manage behavior. Magically, no behavior problems. Yeah. Yep. Like, but, yep. yeah, you know, I can see that 100%. Obviously, yep. there was a blow up here or there or whatever, but yeah. by and large, we just yeah. didn't have the same kind of problems. Um, so, and, and, you know, and obviously, I think this is a travesty, right? <laughs> I don't think this is the way things should be. I think students should just behave, but they don't. Um, and having those, having those issues makes your life harder. So, one of the things that I've worked on with people who are in one of those risk categories is, is how you assert yourself physically in the room. Yeah. So, for example, there was one teacher who I worked with and she was very, very small and we got her a step. Genuinely, we got her a step um, so that at the front of the room, she could do her being seen looking. So she, when she could scan the room properly from a step um, and the kids thought it was a bit funny at first. And then after yeah. that, nobody cared. Nobody mentioned anything and her life was easier. The way you stand and the way you square your shoulders and the way you yeah. face the room is really important, not having a diminutive posture and the way you throw your voice around the room. Um, and actually for this, the best thing to do is go and speak. If you've got a good drama teacher at school, go and speak to them. Yeah, they know vocal. it inside out, don't yeah. they? Yeah, and ask for some vocal exercises. So like, for example, training yourself to speak to every student as if you're speaking to the back of the classroom. Yeah. So, so that the idea of thinking, you know, you stand in an empty classroom and you think, okay, if I want to talk to a student at the back of the room, but without shouting, how am I going to do that? Yeah. How do you how do you move it up a gear? Yeah. How do you how do you move it up a gear without sounding like you're upset or annoyed or anything like that? You sound calm, you sound fine, but you are clearly heard by everyone in the room and it's a clear dominant voice. Yeah. Like that is that's super duper powerful. Um, it is. And it, and it can and it can make a big difference. Uh, it slows you down. It makes you think harder. It makes you um, think about the economy of your language, but it, it, it makes you authoritative in the room. Obviously, that's not the voice you always used to speak to. You speak to students, you know, when you're doing like uh, when you're circulating and you want to give feedback to one child, don't do that. But, you know, when you're addressing the whole class, those kind of skills and strategies and learning how to speak from your diaphragm are things that, you know, a good vocal coach or a good uh, head of drama should be able to teach you to teach you to do and that's why i think this is it's not just well-being it's not just looking after your voice because you need to look after your job um and also because it's you owe yourself to look after your physical body but because it's actually useful for your job as well yeah it is it does have that that double-edged side to it where it really affects the classroom um i think it's something i've always been conscious of because i have a vocal weakness um, i'm always like super attuned to if there's going to be a problem so, like, I know if I'm remotely feeling any kind of emotion, I will feel that physically. Mm. And I've had to learn how to make sure that doesn't come through in what I'm saying. Um, I don't get it 100% all the time, but doing more public speaking has really helped that because nerves are like a normal part of teacher life. There are always going to be situations that make you nervous, but you have to also be able to come across without kids picking up on that. <laughs> Um, yeah. And the voice gives it away massively. Mine will let me down at the bloody drop of a hat sometimes. Like, for God's sake, behave yourself, will you? Yeah, um, I, generally, I think... it's that like being able to go, right, I know that that's going to make this situation harder. Or, like, if, I, if I've got to address a whole, you know, a whole 220 kid year group, how am I projecting my voice in a way that's still allowing me to control what's going on in my throat and allowing me to be heard at the back of the room? whilst also being very conscious that I 
can't shout or go to a higher level because then everything just goes wrong again. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Well, I think it's good that you are that self-aware. Um, I am not as self-aware as you are, and I just uh, things build up, and I don't even realise, and then I find myself spectacularly all over the place. Excellent. Good hey. for you. Um, on that note, um, should we do our? Oh, excuse me. Oh, bless you. Oh, that was a big one. Uh, did I did I cough badly? Then was that? Did I? No, that was fine. Got a bad coughing technique. No, that that was a sneeze, wasn't it? Oh, I don't know. I can never tell. The... You just, just confused. I have, I have terrible, terrible sinuses. Um, you know, I have these. When I went to the dentist last, and he did an X-ray, his literally his jaw dropped. He was like, "Do you know that your teeth are poking into your sinuses?" And I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "Have you seen a doctor about this?" I was like, "Yeah." He's like, "Could you see one again?" I'm like, "Yeah." Yeah, I, yeah really bad sinuses. Anyway, um, sorry. Let's move on from my me and my sinuses um i had a behavior question from you for you Go on. this is something that somebody asked me about recently or somebody mentioned recently it is not something that i personally have experienced but okay. it's something that i've heard happening quite a bit so you're in the middle of a lesson a student is tremendously disruptive you ask them to leave they refuse yeah okay? you call for support using your walkabout or on call or your phone or whatever it is senior leader turn up the child still refuses to, be, to leave. Yeah. Now, what has happened in many such cases is they move the entire class yeah. and they leave that child in there. Yeah. Okay? Now, I've heard of such things. I've never seen it. Have you not? No, never. Have you never done that? Never. No, I've never. done that. No. I'm like, don't, okay, don't so, you dare disrupt this lesson. This lesson's moving. <laughs> right, but... Do you, so, so I get it. I get it. And I, and I fully empathise. But like, what, what message does that, does that not send a message to the other students that this student has won? No, they've lost because they can't continue to disrupt the lesson because they're going somewhere else. Right. But it's not about that. It's about the fact that you've said leave and they've said no. Yeah. But the alternative is yeah. that they continue not to leave. <laughs> so then you really right, have so lost. Right. So, so your advice in a similar scenario, because I can't think of any of a better route, right? I, I can't. Yeah, I think there's other than, other than literally calling the army. <laughs> <laughs> there's a couple of things you want to try first, right? You don't. It's the the least in least invasive intervention is always the way that you should go. So you don't go in and go right, you out now, and then they go no, and you go oh shit. Uh, right, here that, we go. That's not that's not going to work. Um, so you you go I, over. What do they do? What do they do if they come with the class? Um. <laughs> I've known that happen. So, so what, but what do you do? Um, you deploy some more least invasive in interventions <laughs> to try and move the child away from <laughs> where they're going. Um, to be fair, I've never actually had it happen. I've had it nearly happen um, once. What, that a child then walked with the class? Yeah. I, yeah. I but just, then I just... I'm like, oh, well, you've left the room now. Thank you. <laughs> And what, then because yeah. if I was a kid, I'd just play chicken. I'd just be like, "Well, I'm coming too." <laughs> yeah. What What you're looking for is the least. You don't want to escalate that situation to anything that's embarrassing for the school, like when you're getting told no repeatedly, um, but also. 
when a kid's in a situation like that, generally the reason that they're not going to move is because then they don't want to lose face, right? They've said no in front of their peers. They don't feel like they're able to, to lose face anymore. And so what you need to be thinking about is, right, how do I create a scenario where it becomes easier for this child to get out of this situation? Right, but how do you do that? Um, sometimes it's about knowing the child. Um, so knowing some things that might get them to move. Sometimes that might be like, oh, well, I'll, I'll just go and have a conversation with your mum and just let her know that obviously you're refusing to move. Um, and I'll ask her to take your phone off you and then they'll go, all right, fine. Um, <laughs> like you've got it. That's the thing with like behavior in schools. You've got to really know your kids to know what your options are. Cause some when, kids that's not yeah. going to work. They're going to go, mom's not going to take my phone off me. Um, at the, at the extremes at the extremes. Yeah. Yeah. So you, other times it might be, and like I've done this before, um, where a student said no, and I've, I've just gone and sat next to them. Yeah. Um, and stayed and kept the student calm and eventually got to the point where they would move because what you there's there's two priorities going on in your head at the time so you're thinking i don't want to cause any more disruption to this lesson because there's 30 other kids learning yeah um i don't want to blow this situation up and make it worse so if i can just go and sit with this kid and help them do their work and eventually with the aim of them coming out eventually yeah that's what that's what we've done so a bit of patience like if you go into a situation and expect it to just like happen like this it's not going to happen so you you try different things um this might sound bonkers right but something we've been like looking at recently is is de-escalation techniques and taking the um you, like the tension in the the when when the situation's up here, how do you bring it back down? Um, <laughs> you're probably going to think I've completely lost the plot here, um, but we've got some magic tricks, <laughs> right? Magic tricks. Yeah, we've got some magic tricks. We've got some card decks that we do little tricks with, um, or we have little jobs that need doing, um, or we throw a total random question out there. You remember thunks, right? You yeah. know that god awful thing we used to yeah. do in the classroom. Um, there's been times where we've we've gone to a, a child in crisis um, and gone. Do you think there's more um, wheels in the world, or do you think there's more doors? You know what the kids were all talking about like a year ago. I, and suddenly, I don't, why, why would that be bonkers? I don't know. I just I, I think I think I, sometimes a child gets lost down a hole. And the yeah, idea and you is... need to find something to break the hole. I've done that loads of times. Have you? Yeah. That's fine. But like, yeah, the, the magic, you know what, the magic tricks have worked really well. They're now not, available done, for birthdays. I've not done magic tricks, but I've done the thing that, that I know the student happens to be interested in. Yeah, um, so we, yeah, especially with kids who you know, have, um, and I don't want to stereotype here, but some students have like real fixations on certain topics. Yeah. And knowing what those are, like I know, like, I'm thinking of a particular student here. If, if he's refusing to leave a classroom, I go in and I'm like, um, "So, what's which which Pokemon cards have you got with you today?" I've done exactly the same with Pokemon. Yeah, I've, I've, like, I've printed. I like I've printed this, Pokemon like, coloring kids. I, I yeah. found there was a kid who was who was in the playground, like in the middle of a lesson, kicking bins over, turning tables over, 
I just went up to him. I said, um, do you want me to print a Pokemon picture for you to do some coloring in the back of my land? And he just looks at me and he goes, yeah. Yeah, because you've like, given well, them a route out where I, they feel I, safe. I, 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 held up, I held open my laptop. I said, which Pokemon do you want me to do? And he goes, I'll have a Pikachu, please. Yeah. And that's what we did. I, I've taken a kid down from the school gate by asking him about how quickly he can solve a Rubik's Cube. Yeah. I, do you know what I've managed to do? was We, we had a, a four-hour-long situation um, where a child was just sort of having a, a real meltdown. It took a box of different shapes of Lego that we put in piles of all the same shapes. So I was like, oh, all like this that. Lego's in the wrong order. And he's like, well, give it here. We'll put it in the right order. And then yeah. 10 minutes doing that, we're all right I, again. I like that. And, and stuff like that works for me as well. You know, when I'm yeah. really in a grump um, and in a bad headplace, like, you know, sometimes I just take myself off to, we've got loads of Lego and I'll sort that and make me feel better. And just to be clear for anyone listening, this stuff doesn't always work. <laughs> yeah. And like, this isn't the, like you, and this is what I find really difficult about behavior questions like this, because there's a million different things you could do that should be informed by who the child is and what the situation yeah. is. Um, and also you might go to a situation where everything you try doesn't work Yeah. <laughs> and you're just winging it. Yep. Yeah. 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 I, I, I got really good at, um, at the de-escalation when I was head of department because I had to deal with a lot of students who were furious with their teacher, but not me. Yes. Um, yeah. We obviously get a lot, like as a behavior team, that's something yeah. we experience. Oh, they're furious with another kid. Yeah. They're furious, but it's not me. Um, yeah. And so then I had like, I, I learned, you know, again, and this is probably like idiosyncratic, but like for me, like a, a line that I use a lot is, is I, I just say to the child, I say, I say, just just look at me for a second. Because often they're like just looking all over the place, their heads up. I say, just look at me for a second, yeah? You and I, we've never had a problem before, yeah? Have I have I ever shown you anything other than respect? Yeah. And they're like, oh, I'm like, be honest, yeah? Do you, have I have I ever shown you anything other than respect? They're like, yeah. I'm like, believe me when I'm telling you this now, I'm, I'm trying to help. Yeah. yeah. It's the Let's connect before you correct. That's the, Ooh, that's the thing that's really important. Love that. Yeah. Where'd you hear that? Uh, I don't know. It's just something I say. We talk about it a lot in our school. I like that. And, and, and obviously, again, it. like it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's in a sense, it's when I've been the person that they've been annoyed at, that stuff hasn't worked. No, right? but, but you're, if, if you're the person they're annoyed at, you're not the person that should be dealing with it because there's too, many, there's too much in that situation. Somebody else should be coming in at that point. Yeah, if it's got, if it's got to that, you know. Yeah. If it's got so far that... that they're not going to come back down yet. Yeah. I completely agree. Look, um, it's been over an hour. Um, I am on my last legs. <laughs> Same. Um, I think, uh, do you want to, should we take a break next week for half term? Yeah, um, let's take a break. And um, we will see everybody on the other side then. So that's all we've got time for today. Um, thanks so much for listening. Uh, if you'd like to get in touch, you can find us on Twitter and threads, or you can email Adam adam at carousel-learning.com and if you're not yet a subscriber to carousel learning do consider booking in a demo via the website to see if yourself i could transform your teaching practices if you'd like to support the podcast the very best thing you can do for us is hit subscribe and let your friends know about us have a great weekend bye, bye.